0: We are looking at the fruit of the Spirit together. Now, what, are we, what are we talking about when we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit? We're talking about holiness. We're talking about, we're talking about sanctification. We're talking about lives being conformed to a certain pattern. So let's, let's not overcomplicate it because sanctification is not rocket science. It's about putting off old Patterns and developing new patterns. It's about putting away old sinful patterns that reflect the works of the flesh and putting on new patterns that reflect the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. And and making all of that possible is the power and the work of the Holy Spirit who dwells in the hearts of those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, when, when you talk about sanctification, holiness, growth and grace, there, there, is, there is a danger, isn't there? Uh, the danger is moralism. Uh, we could examine the fruit of the Spirit and, you know, I could preach nine, ten sermons that uh, basically the fundamental message is, is this. Be loving, be joyful, be at peace with one another be patient, and, and so on, and that would, if that was, if is, is all I say, that, that is not a Christian message, that's moralism. Because you see, the problem, the problem is we can't be any of these things in and of ourselves. The basis for bearing this fruit, seeing this fruit in our lives, is not some interpersonal strength or power that we possess in and of ourselves. So you could, though, easily approach the fruit of the Spirit in that very way. You know, you could, you could look at your life and say, you know, my life's been a mess lately. I've been pretty disappointed with myself. It's time to turn a new leaf. I'm going to make some New Year's resolutions. The fruit of the Spirit sound pretty good. I'm going to be more loving, more joyful, more kind, more, more, more good, more faithful, and, and so on. That's moralism. That's moralism. And my friends, it always, always ends in failure. And so I want to remind us, just by way of introduction, as we think about the fruit of the Spirit, that sanctification must be based on the gospel. That's important. That's so important for us to get. Sanctification must be based on the gospel because Christianity is not moralism. It's not reducible To a set of moral imperatives or commands. See the basis on which Paul commands us to walk in step with the Spirit. To cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Is that something has fundamentally changed in us. That we are not who we once were that the old man has, has been crucified, and that we have been raised to newness of life in, in Christ, that we are a new creation. And so when we talk about cultivating the fruit of the Spirit, how, how can we do that? Well, we can only do that, dear friends, on the basis of the Gospel. We can only do that in union with Jesus Christ, with the indwelling presence of the Spirit of Christ in our lives. We can only do it if we are a new creation in Christ. And so as we continue to look at the fruit of the Spirit together, let's be absolutely clear that this is not moralism. The, The basis for the production of this fruit in our lives is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't think that when we talk about sanctification that we're leaving the gospel behind. I hope you don't think that. No, instead... We, as we talk about holiness and sanctification, on the basis of the gospel, we are thinking about how this is how God works to change and transform the lives of those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is what we continue to think about today. Before we read our verses, let's, uh, let's ask for the Lord's blessing and prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Heavenly uh, well, we need we need to hear from you. Uh, every single one of us is here uh, in vain if we do not hear a word from you. Uh, we, are, we are hungry and thirsty and we need your truth. And so we are looking uh, to you and pleading the promises that Christ gave to us. He has told us that if we ask you for the Holy Spirit, that you will. Give him to us. And so we're asking, give us the Holy Spirit to teach us the truth, to transform our minds, to change our hearts, and to shape our lives and mold us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ that we might reflect him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Genesis uh, or Galatians five twenty two and 23. Let's hear the word of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. We reach today the fourth fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. Now that word it is a very distinct word in in Greek. It it carries the idea of of forbearance, of of long suffering. It could be better translated with that very word, long suffering. I think that in essence captures the meaning of this word. There are two basic words in in Greek for patience. The one that I've just mentioned, carrying the idea of of, of suffering long of of forbearing the other word bearing the idea of steadfast endurance in light of the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and so today as we reflect here upon this word patience uh, what what is this patience what 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 kind of patience does the Holy Spirit generate in the lives of those he indwells as we try to answer that question uh, together, I think the first thing we need to say is that this kind of patience is a characteristic of God. This kind of patience is a characteristic of God. Remember, uh, we read the the passage in Exodus uh, 34 for our assurance of pardon. How Moses asked the Lord to to show him His glory, and the Lord drew near to Moses on. On the mountain and the Lord proclaimed to Moses his name. The Lord, the Lord. The compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger. Abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands. And forgiving sin and wickedness and rebellion. Slow to anger. And that's what this word patience means. Long suffering. It's. It's God's covenant kindness, his covenant forbearance with his people. He's slow to anger. And and notice that Exodus 34 tells us that he is slow to anger because he is compassionate and gracious. He proclaims to Moses that he is the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger. In other words, his forbearance is, if you like, the product of his compassionate and gracious heart it's because he is both compassionate and full of grace that he suffers long with with his people so I want you to just notice that connection here the the Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger it's understanding who and what God is that will help us understand What this patience is, it is the product of a compassionate and gracious heart. But what's really striking, I think, about this aspect of God's character is that it's not simply something manifested or shown to the covenant people of God. The Bible tells us that it is the very same patience, the very same long-suffering and forbearance That God shows and manifests to a sinful and rebellious world. The story of Jonah illustrates that for us, doesn't it? Do you remember how the story of Jonah went? How God turned away his anger and wrath from the city of Nineveh. And and Jonah, Jonah was greatly displeased by that. You'd think that Jonah would have been leaping for joy at, at this event, but he was greatly displeased by that. He prayed to the Lord, Lord, isn't, isn't this what I said would happen when I was still at home? This is why I fled to, to Tarshish. I knew, I knew that you were a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love. I knew that you would do that, Jonah said. You know, he liked the idea of a compassionate and gracious God to the people of God. Because Jonah belonged to the people of God. But he couldn't stomach the fact that God would show such compassion and grace. Such forbearance to a rebellious and sinful world. It was, I think it's right to say, it was a scandal to Jonah. But my friends, this is, this is the character of God. He is a God who suffers long with sinners. And Paul speaks about this in, in Romans 2. He asks the question. Do you presume, oh man. to uh, Do you presume on the, the riches and the kindness and forbearance and patience of God. Knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So God is long suffering with sinners. He is patient. He 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 forbears to step in with his righteous judgment. Now that has led some people to what we would call presumption. It has led some people to presumption. It's led people to convince themselves that God is really indifferent to sin. And you know they think if God is if God is righteous and holy surely he would step in and judge sin. You see what's going on there they they are confusing God's gracious forbearance with indifference to sin. And it's this very issue that Peter picks up in 2 Peter chapter Three, remember what he says there, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is his one day. the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise. Uh, the promise of uh, to execute his, his righteous judgment. Don't think that God has forgotten about that, Peter is saying. As some count slowness, God is not slow in that way, but is... Patient, it's that word. He is is long-suffering. It's not that he has forgotten about sin. It's not that he has turned a blind eye to sin. It's not that he is never going to deal with sin. It's that he is long-suffering because he is compassionate and gracious. The The fact that he forbears pouring out his wrath on an unbelieving world, is a manifestation to us that God is a forbearing God because his heart is full of grace. Did you, did you notice though, as I just ran through Romans 2 and, and what Peter says in 2 Peter, that, that God's forbearance has a desired goal. Peter and Paul both mentioned that God's desired goal in his forbearance is that we would repent. So we would, that we would turn from our sin and our rebellion and our self-centered, self-indulgent, self-pleasing lives and turn back to God and know his redeeming grace. God shows gracious long-suffering so that people will repent. So that's why we must not presume on on God's patience and confuse forbearance with indifference. God is not slow in keeping his promise. God is not slow to execute his righteous judgment, Peter says. Rather, rather, he's patient. He's forbearing. And that's a truth, dear friends, that, you know, we, we need to, We need to bank our bottom dollar on that reality. We need to live by that truth. That a day is coming when the forbearing patience of God will run out. And his righteous judgment, his eternal judgment, will begin. That's just a quick sweeping overview of what the Bible says about God's patience. And I think that gives us what we need to understand Galatians 5 when it says the fruit of the Spirit is patience. It's the, same, it's the same word. The same kind of patience. A patience that suffers long and forbears. This patience, is, which is, which is all integral to the character of God, is to be integral to the character of the people of God. That's what Paul is saying here. And it's not simply that this fruit of long suffering is to be seen in our individual lives. Paul, Paul is talking about this fruit being see, seen and manifested in, in our corporate life together. Paul is talking about the interrelatedness of the people of God. Remember, that's the context. Don't, don't, don't backbite, don't devour one another. That's the context that Paul gives us the fruit of the spirit. He's thinking here about the the relationships among the people of God within the church of Jesus Christ. And he's saying this fruit is most manifestly seen in our relationships with each other. And So this forbearing characteristic is to be what what marks out the relationships of God's people. It, It describes the the disposition that believers are to have towards towards one another you know we mentioned it last Sunday uh, in, in Ephesians chapter four um, be, be humble, be gentle be patient bearing with one another in love so, so what is this patience it is bearing with one another in love long suffering is at heart bearing with people whose whose conduct and character provokes in you anger and disappointment and perhaps annoyance and hurt. You see, you see how realistic the Bible is. There is no head in the cloud spirituality here. The Bible is profoundly realistic about our relationships. There's, there's the reality that we are going to rub each other the wrong way. That we are going to sin against each other. That we are going to disappoint one another. That we are at times going to discourage one another and let one another down. And, and that's the reality of believing men and women, redeemed by the blood of Christ, who yet remain sinners. The remnants of sin remain in each of our lives and within our hearts. And so you see, this is, there's, there's this down-to-earth realism here about congregational life Uh, somebody said and I I thought this was so helpful I heard it this week someone put it this way that that patience the kind of patience we're talking about here in Galatians 5 patience is love on trial Uh, be patient bearing with one another in love So how we relate to one another, when we disagree with one another, when we disappoint one another, when we discourage one another, when we annoy one another, is, I think, a profound display of the reality or otherwise of our Christian profession. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. It's long-suffering, refusing to get even or to give as you get. Or to give before you get. You know, the, that's, that, one of those versions is, is, is the popular ethic that is so prevalent in our world, isn't it? Give as you get or give before you get it. Know how to get even. Do unto others as they do unto you. Well, my friends, that is utterly opposed to the ethics of those who, who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, John Chrysostom, we uh, we utilized one of his prayers last week in our service, a pastor in the early church. he He defined this patience as the spirit which could take revenge if it liked, but refuses to do so. It's the spirit that could take revenge if it liked. It has the ability, it has the capacity, it has the opportunity, and it refuses to do so my friends how how often have have we had the opportunity and the ability and the capacity to to take revenge and we've opted to do that very thing and you know, we've known just where to stick the knife we've known how to get back and to get as we got and we've retaliated instead of walking in step with the spirit One of the things that uh, I think what we should see as we reflect upon this passage is that this, this Christian grace that Paul speaks about here, fruit of the Spirit's patience, it, was, it would have been utterly countercultural in Greek culture at that time. There was a highly esteemed virtue in, in Greek culture at that time. Megaluxukia, if you care about it, it means it means literally great souled. You know, we we might call him the big man of Greek culture. The big man knew how to take care of himself. The big man knew how to get even. The big man knew how to get revenge when he had been taken advantage of or hurt. And in Greek culture, that was a highly esteemed virtue, someone who knew how to get revenge. But to God, who's the big man to God? The big man is the one who, even when they can, even when they have the capacity and the opportunity and the ability, they refuse to take revenge. Isn't isn't that something we see you know, so, so perfectly manifested in the life of our Savior Jesus Christ while he was here on, on earth. Peter tells us that when people hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the Lord who judges justly. He didn't he didn't act like the big man of Greek culture? He didn't have a revengeful attitude that was so admired at the time. Instead, he was long-suffering. He was patient with sinners. So let's turn the question here, let's, let's start thinking about ourselves and ask this question: why do we need this kind of patience? And you know, we we I encourage you to do this throughout the week. We need to ask that question in in every area of our lives, why, why do we need this kind of patience in our family life, in our, in our marriages, in our friendships, and so forth? But I'm, I'm going to focus here on what I think is the immediate context of Galatians chapter 5. Why, why is it that we, this must be one of the great spirit-generated fruits in gospel-believing churches? I want to give two reasons the first reason is this. First, we we need this kind of patience because even as even as the born-again, forgiven, accepted, adopted children of God, we remain sinners. We all remain sinners. We still have indwelling sin in each of our lives. And, and that's, just, that's just a reality. It's a fact that we have to take into account as we think about life in the church of Jesus Christ, this side of glory. You know, too many many people, I think, have an idealistic view of of the church. But the Bible never, never does. There is an implicit realism in this word, patience. While While we've been saying and we affirm that God's God's predestinating purpose for every Christian believer is that they would be conformed and increasingly conformed to the moral likeness of Jesus Christ. That truth is always held together with the, with the reality that our present growth in Christ is a work in progress. And sometimes it's painfully slow. You know, we, we remain in these these frail sinful bodies subject to pride and selfishness and and forgetfulness and all kinds of weaknesses what what we are yet what we remain requires the grace of christ-like forbearance or we will bite and devour one another so this is biblical realism for the life of the church and so we need We need to learn how to bear with one another in love. We need to cultivate this grace of patience, of a forbearing spirit towards one another. Because while we all await the the full redemption of our bodies, there there remains a principle at work within all of us that necessitates the grace of a forbearing spirit. Uh, We need our brothers and sisters to... To be patient with us. And I'm intentionally framing it that way. Because I think that's the way we ought to look at this passage first. Before we start thinking about how we need to be patient with others. We need to reckon with the fact that our brothers and sisters need to be forbearing with us. Because all of us are sinners. All of us are marked by blemishes and will fail one another and disappoint one another but we need our brothers and sisters to be patient not to write us off when we fail them not to cut us off not to uh, you know not to clinically rebuke us but in love to bear with us that's what every one of us needs and that's what this passage is calling us to now as we've been saying of course these graces do not mean that we don't that we don't lovingly deal with sin, that we don't confront one another, but we do so, or we ought to do so, with with a heart tenderized by the, by the compassion and grace of Christ. Not as, not as policemen coming to lay down the law and beat one another up in order just to rebuke one another for rebuking's sake. No, instead we recognize that all of us here who belong to Jesus are a work in progress. And the master sculptor still has a lot of work to do in, in all of our lives. And so we need the gracious forbearance of our brothers and sisters because we remain sinners who will sin against one another. That's the first reason. The second reason is this. We need this kind of patience in the household of God because without it, we will fracture the unity of the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, Calvin, did you hear this quote from Calvin? He put it this way, By bearing with our brethren, we keep that unity which would otherwise be broken a hundred times a day. Of course, if you have, if you have no concern about the, the unity of the church, then you will have little concern about Bearing patiently with your brothers and sisters by, about being long-suffering. But if you love the church and you love the people of God, then, then we must forbear. Because if we do not, we will fracture the unity of the visible church. That's, that's why when there's, when there's division and there's conflict or disappointment, we need to stop and seek the Spirit's help. To bear with one another, especially, especially when we are crushingly hurt or let down, when we feel that someone has done something horrible to us. You know, it's so, it's so easy. It is so easy to nurse personal grievances and hurts, to harbor resentment and, you know, uh, fan the flames of, of anger in our lives. But what do we need to come back to? We need to come back to this reality that, that God is forbearing. That God is compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger. And we are called to be like our Father who, who is in heaven. And you know people can take advantage of forbearance. That's another thing we need to say along the way. We can use it as an excuse for just living any way we choose. And all I'll say about that is is we need to remember that God's forbearance Gives way to righteous, just judgment that begins with the household of God. And so, within, within the church, when people are abusing the forbearance of their brethren, they need to be lovingly and graciously confronted about that. Well, there's one, thing, one other thing I want us to focus on for a few moments together. The last thing I want us to do is look at Matthew 18. we looked at that passage uh, a few moments ago. It was read for us, uh, the parable of the unforgiving servant. I just want to ask the question, what is this parable teaching us? What's our Lord saying here? We we saw the king or the master exercise patience. Uh, There was a servant who owed him a, a great deal and he wanted to settle his accounts. And this servant came into his presence and he said, master, have patience with me. And, and the master showed patience and, and grace and forgave the debt in its entirety. And then this same servant goes out and finds a fellow servant who owes him money, a far less amount. And he grabs him by the neck and he begins to choke him and demand that he pay up. And he even puts him in prison until he pays back all that he owes. What's our Lord teaching us here? I think he's teaching us that failure to exercise forbearing patience with one another opens us up to the judgment of God. What happens to the man who does not treat his fellow servant with the same patience that he received from the king? The master calls him after he hears about this and says, You wicked servant, I forgave your debt In full, and should you not also have mercy on your servant? And in anger, he he delivered the servant over to the jailers, the torturers, until he should pay back in full all that he owed. And then Jesus says these words So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart with all that you are, unless you are merciful, unless you treat people as God in Christ has treated you. A person that you, well such a person, you leave yourself open to the judgment of God because, because a forgiven heart is inevitably a, for, a, a forgiving heart. A person who has experienced the the long suffering of God towards them, must inevitably be a person who is long suffering towards others. And if they they are not, they manifest the reality that they have yet to to fully understand and experience the long suffering patience of God towards them. I think a challenging question I uh, asked myself this week is. How is it possible that we could be Christians indwelt by the Spirit of Christ and not at least in some real measure treat one another as, as God has treated us in his Son? That's why uh, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul says that this patience, this, this forbearance, is a part of the wardrobe of God's chosen ones. He says in Colossians 3, put on then, beloved, as God's chosen ones, uh, uh, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you must forgive. We are to clothe ourselves with patient forbearance As, as new people In Christ, as new creations, we are to to take off the old garments of of revenge and and anger and divisiveness, and we are to clothe ourselves with compassion and patience that bears with one another and stands ready to forgive and to forgive and to forgive as God forgives us in Christ. And so let me ask you this Uh, Are you. Am I passionately concerned to wear gospel-labeled clothing? Are you you concerned that your your life be be clothed and covered with the graces of our Lord Jesus Christ? Notice, Notice in Colossians 3 how closely forgiveness is tied to this forbearing patient heart bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may have had or you have against one another. Forgive as you've been forgiven in Christ. You see, I think what we are to learn from that is that what Jesus Christ has done for us at the cross is is not only the cause of our salvation, but it is also the cure for our disputes and our divisions the the cross is the great cure for the dividedness that so scars the face of the church of Jesus Christ i think that the apostle john brings brings that home when he, he earlier he spoke of, of christ being the the propitiation for our sins and and now he says if god so loved us by sending his son to bear our sins what do you expect him to say next if god so loved us by sending his son to bear our sins you also ought to love one another john says he's helping us see that the that the cross is is, is not only the cause of our salvation it is also the cure for everything that divides christians the cross is 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 not only a—it's not only a truth to glory in. It is a truth to live by. Too often, too often, Christians are known as being people who glory in the cl- the cross professedly, and who live too little by the cross relationally and experientially. Too often, Christians are are known for that. When, when we, but when we truly glory in the cross, you see what the New Testament is saying to us. It, it will be seen in the ways that we relate to one another. Would you just think for a moment of, uh, think of how patient God has been towards you. How long-suffering He has been with you Over the years, how how quick to forgive when you repent. And how how ready he has been to receive you back into his, his loving arms. He's ready to be reconciled. Ponder that, dear friends. But the challenge of this passage is to not just ponder it for ourselves individually, but to have that truth begin to shape. How we live with one another and how we relate to one another, that we might reflect to some real, tangible degree the patient forbearance of God. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. And, and may, may this, by, by God's grace, be increasingly what marks us out as a congregation yes clinging to the doctrines of god's grace in christ but just as passionately living by those same doctrines of grace and how we relate to and love one another it will it will be seen in transformed lives and transformed relationships being being a colony of of heaven here, here on earth, governed by Christ, ruled by the Holy Spirit, practicing here on earth to some degree what we will live by in perfection for all eternity. And, you know, beloved, one day, one day we are going to be in the presence, together, we are going to be in the presence of, of our long-suffering God. May may it be, may the Lord graciously help us uh, now to to be to one another what God in Christ has been to us. Let's make that our our prayer today as we close. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the richness of this passage. And we thank you that you are a long-suffering God. You are slow to anger because you are compassionate and gracious to sinners and because you have called us to yourself and through faith have brought us to your son and have sent the spirit to dwell within each of our hearts would you so work that more and more we might manifest this fruit in our lives and may may it be seen in our relationships with one another. May we be a congregation, more and more increasingly so, filled with love and joy and peace and patience. For we ask this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.